welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back, as we do every Tuesday afternoon, a chance to sit down with SEC on CBS lead analyst Gary Danielson. Uh, This is a huge part of the schedule. It's one that we, as fans of the SEC, love every time of year. We go straight from uh, Georgia, Florida in Jacksonville right into the colossal matchup in the SEC West. Once again, Gary, we're going to get it in primetime, and we'll get to that game here in just a little bit. But I got to start at Florida, starting with Jim McElwain. You got a chance to spend some time with him leading into their game against the Bulldogs. Right. Um, what's what's your general read on the situation there and, and whether Jim McElwain knew maybe this was happening going into the weekend? Well, as you're going through it, you're never quite sure exactly um, You try as you try to take the temperature of not only the coaching staff, but we don't get spent a lot of time with the players, obviously, when we do Georgia, Florida. But um, you could tell that uh, Coach Mack was a bit distracted. But uh, you don't know the um, the depth of that. Um, as the game unfolded, and then the rumors came out later that he had informed the team that you know uh, I know that you're hearing rumors about a buyout, but that's not really true. Uh, I just thought all of the outside. Uh, noise and circumstances and press that coaches always tell their team they have to set aside and concentrate. I don't think uh, Jim nor his staff did a very good job of it at all. Um, Mm. His team was not prepared. And um, I thought their game plan was rudimentary. Um, I was very disappointed after a a bye week uh, of the product that they put on the field. Um, they they seem to be hard-headed, much to the way Les Miles was a year ago when you could tell the administration and alumni were upset and Les was very hard-headed about making any changes at all and it cost him his job. And it just appeared to me that, uh, you know, Coach Mack, uh, just those outside pressures got to him. And, you know, maybe it, maybe it would a lot of people. But when you're leading 85 men and playing a good team against Georgia, uh, it, it seemed to me that his team was distracted and so was his coaching staff. Did that did it surprise you at how quickly this relationship appears to have fizzled? It, you know, we're coming off still a second SEC East title. Now there are right. there have been plenty of reasons on the field to be frustrated, but also clearly some some off field relationship issues with the administration, certainly with these the threats at the beginning of the week. But did you did you see this coming? Like I don't think three weeks ago I could have imagined that we would be starting November and Florida would be the SEC East job that was already open. No, it surely was a perfect storm, especially at the end that it gained a lot of momentum. Uh, with those two very close losses to LSU and Texas A&M. But the big picture of the frustration, um, I open up the broadcast uh, pretending to be each team's fan base and how they were looking mm. at this game. And the the Florida fan base, uh, my imitation was that, that they were looking at this game and going, well, wait, what the heck? We just beat these guys. 
how can they be so good in two years and we're still floundering with only five touchdown passes and are barely able to throw the ball for 120 yards a game? And, and I think that, yes, the losses were maybe the, the nails that finished it off and obviously the press conference. But this was a very, very frustrated Florida fan base who could not understand uh, how a team in modern college football can't throw for 150 yards. And I, and I think that really caught up to him. Gary, where should Florida go next? And, and you know, if you want to give names, feel free, but don't, I, sure. that's not really what I'm asking. You know, I, I'm curious what you think Scott Strickland should be looking for as he approaches this. Because there have been some issues that they've had a hard time fixing now for about seven years. Um, right. What, what's, well, what's the next step for them? Yeah, Bart, I, I, I'm not sure, but it's, it's almost impossible to believe. And I've been doing these interviews uh, throughout this year and many others uh, about, you know, this talent-rich um, area of Florida, where Florida recruits from, are, are loaded with young players that are jumping up and making one-handed catches all over the country, but not at Florida. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I think the, another huge straw was that decision that Mac made to move on, uh, you know, and, 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 and just could not handle, well, move on, excuse me, I didn't get to the finish of my sentence, but move on from Will Greer. I mean, Will wanted to stay. He just wanted some assurances that when he gets eligible again, that he can fight for the number one spot. And uh, McElwain made a decision that it would be best for all parties to move on. Uh, he had Felipe Franks coming in as a big recruit. I don't think he wanted to muddy the waters with that. And as Will Greer is leading the nation in touchdown passes, Florida's got five, and four of them were, you know, a, a Hail Mary. Two times Kentucky didn't even fit, cover a receiver, and the other one was on a uh, flea flicker or whatever the heck the other one was, or, you know, a, a, a jet sweep where he tossed it a, an inch and a half and got a forward pass out of it. So, you know, that all mounts. I mean, when you got Steve Spurrier sitting in the box next to the athletic director and you can't put together an offense, um, you know, I don't, despite two trips to the SEC championship, I think Florida fan is very sophisticated. And uh, I think they looked at that and said, uh, those both have biz asterisks in front of it. And we better, and I think Scott Strickland, actually, I don't have to guess who he's going to bring in. He was very open about it at the press conference. He's going to bring an offensive guy. He's going to bring an offensive genius. I know, is is that Rich Rod? Is that Scott Frost? Uh, Is it it Mike Gundy? I don't know, but he's he's not going to be bringing in a a pedestrian, uh, let's be balanced, uh, let's play good defense, uh, let's make sure that we can run the ball off tackle. That ain't happening this time. You know, or Dan Mullen. I mean, you you know the same four or five names that, that everybody else knows. So right. I think Scott Scott was very clear. He wants an offensive guy. And if we lose, and this is what was so frustrating about that game in Georgia to me, okay, is I think Florida fan would be willing to lose 35-31 rather than win 10-9. Now, you know, may, maybe not this week again, last week against Georgia, okay? I think that... But for the most part, they they weren't buying these 10-9 games anymore, 17-14 games. They wanted points, and I think Scott Strickland understands that. 
What about the other side of the ball in that game? Georgia, you've had a chance to see a couple times now. Right. Uh, I mean, are they – look, four of seven for 100 yards is all they had to do in the past right. game. Uh, are, are they that much more talented? Have they just caught something? What, what, like, where do you see this dominance emanate from? Is it just have we looked up and, and didn't realize how talented they had gotten through the years or what? Boy, how do I summarize this? <laughs> <laughs> Georgia has always, uh, well, Georgia has never lacked uh, for talent. That was one of the frustrations for the Georgia faithful about Mark Richt. Sure. You know, he was winning his nine games, his eight, nine, ten games, but why he couldn't build it into a contender for the national championship is the reason he lost his job. Now, the transition for Kirby his first year with a true freshman quarterback putting in a new system and I thought they were a bit in a transition with very, very young talent and a few classes that maybe Mark hadn't done quite as good a job at. And I thought they were in a transition year. But for the most part that I've been in this conference, Georgia you know, closely resembles the talent of LSU, A&M, Auburn, and Florida when they're on top, and obviously just a step below Alabama. But you know, pretty good. Um, this year's team's a, b- a little differently built for a Georgia team because they're most powerful on defense. Their front seven is the elite status. Um, they feel very comfortable playing games that, you know, it could be 17-14, they'd be happy. Now, they haven't had a lot of those, but they really coach around their defense. And you can tell that by w- the strategy that Kirby employed at the end of the half. He had a he had a twenty one nothing lead. Uh, Florida was backed up fourth and fifteen fourth and fifteen on their own twenty. They didn't gain twenty yards in the game. Okay, fourth and fifteen, and he has three timeouts, I believe, maybe two, and there's a minute fifty on the clock, and he lets forty seconds go off to protect his quarterback. I I thought that said volumes about where he thinks his team is offensively and how much he still needs to protect uh, Jake Fromm from potentially tossing away a sure win with a couple silly freshman mistakes. Um, The question is, how many teams can take advantage of that? You know, they've gained great stature from that Notre Dame win. Who knows? Maybe Notre Dame played awful that game. Uh, Maybe Georgia is that much of an elite team I know they're getting the credit for that, but it appears to me that because of their talent, Kirby can win 10 games rolling out the helmets. Mm. Now, it's it's the last two. It's Auburn it, this year, and it you know, I, you know they don't play LSU, but it's Auburn and Alabama. Are they good enough to take on those two teams? Um, and, and the questions are, I think, still huge. I mean... Remember, Jalen Hurts, a true freshman quarterback at Alabama, eventually found his wall, and it was an extremely talented Clemson team. Will Georgia find their wall? Uh, you know, Auburn, I don't know. Well, I don't know, but it's at Auburn. We'll find out. Uh, but I, I still have to believe I've never seen a team yet, even the great Alabama teams, that twice a year didn't fall behind and hand the ball to their quarterback and go, you know, well, you got to get us back in this game. We cannot protect you. 
Now, he did a pretty good job of that last drive against Notre Dame, although he just needed a field goal. Um, could he get behind 10 points against Auburn and Alabama? Uh, then we'll see uh, how this team takes that next step. Is that the the last uh, big missing piece for you with Georgia? Because it sounds like there's some hesitation to uh, push them into you – know, we, we're recording on Tuesday afternoon. The, the first sure. play, playoff rankings are coming out in a few hours. Uh, there is talk – that depending on how the committee looks at it, they could put Georgia above Alabama. Sounds like there's yeah, I, a, a little bit of distance from where Georgia can be than from what you've seen so far. I think they deserve that. I think it would be a bad break for George to get the number one spot. Ooh. For the, for the mental think, side of things? Well, then you'd have Alabama. I mean, if you think the Vanderbilt <laughs> uh, disrespect was big, now, I, I think Nick Saban would – would, he would fly into that committee and kiss them all if he <laughs> put Georgia number one. Well, as we as we start to consider that great Alabama team, they're going into uh, a LSU week facing an LSU team that you know they should know really well. Uh, right. You know that should have their attention. Uh, but the the we talked about the Las Vegas point spread before in terms of just you know the perception of it you know more than Hard three to touchdowns to here yeah. in this game. Uh, do you think that this matchup is is going to end up playing closer to last year's matchup than what the Vegas experts have uh, set for the point spread? I'd be surprised. I mean, last year I believe it wasn't a zero zero after three quarters. It was being a ten ten nothing game. And, yep. Um, uh, you know, as as you look at this more firepower and different type offense that Alabama has, I'd be surprised if LSU, if they have any thought of winning this game, being able to win it by scoring less than 21 points. You know, and that's a challenge right there. I, I You have to believe that Alabama is going to score a couple touchdowns and kick a couple field goals. Mm-hmm. Minimum on an off day. Okay. So I'm I'm thinking – if you're LSU, you have to go into this game. I, I would think if I'm Matt Canada, I'm looking at we got to score a touchdown every quarter here somehow. Um, and that's going to be a big challenge. Uh, you know, that, you know they're, they're, they, they, this LSU team is really interesting. It's not the same style of a team that Alabama faced a year ago, especially on offense. They're a completely different attacking team. They're not challenging your manhood running the ball downhill isolation 1975 run plays this year. Right. They have a whole different finesse of the they would they they'd love to run it between the tackles, but they do it in a lot of different ways. And you have to be on your game. You have to have all your assignments. It's very similar to uh defending a triple option team that runs the ball all the time. You have to be really aware of what's going on because they can outflank you instantly. And then you, they can also put your two outside men, whether they be defensive ends or outside linebackers, in a quandary of who to take really quick. And you have a lot of people, you know, they, they're one of the few teams that run the ball at the point of attack and do not block the guy standing right where they want to run it. They try to finesse him. And that's very reminiscent of option football and why they can outnumber you very easily. So, um, LSU has a lot of talented football players. If you go one through 22, I mean, there's about 15 LSU players that can stand toe-to-toe with Alabama and and never back down. Problem is player number 23 to 85. Mm. That's that's where this LSU team is not as good as it's been in the past. 
they used to be able to roll their backups in and not miss a beat physically. Uh, whether it was the offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, strong safety, wide receiver, running backs, they were loaded in all those different areas. Now, hey, you know, no one can, you know, as deep as that Alabama, you know, running back situation is, you can't say that Darius Geis couldn't play for Alabama. Sure. Okay? I mean, he, of course he could play. I mean, you look at the Alabama receivers, but DJ Shark, I mean, he, he's a talented player. Um, you look at the offensive line for LSU. I don't know if JK Malone, J, uh, KJ, KJ Malone, Malone is yeah. KJ Malone is going to play, but Malone and Clapp and Weathersby, even Ed Ingram, their true freshman right guard, they're all capable, good, solid, stout running uh, offensive linemen. But when when you know one more nick uh, on that offensive line, and now you're down to guys who can't quite handle it. Same with the defensive line, you know. Now I'll match up Richard Lawrence with with anybody that Alabama has. He'd, he'd play. So would Arden Keaton play. So would Corey Thompson play. So would Devin White play. But boy, once it gets up to sixty five plays, and the next set of guys come in, the next set of guys for Alabama are way better. Gary, who's the second best team in the SEC East? <laughs> like we're going to see Georgia play South Carolina this weekend, and it, you know. The line there is 24 points. Um, right. You know, Missouri is favored this weekend against Florida. You know, they're sneaking around trying to get to a bowl. Um, there's a lot of bad behind Georgia. Uh, is there anybody in that d- side of the division that you can you can point to and say that that's a pretty good football team? No. Oh man, that's fast. <laughs> that was a really fast and confident answer. No, I, I, you know, Florida had a chance, but they've regressed so much on offense. Um, it was almost as if the Florida staff refused to put Malik Zaire in the game because they didn't want him to do well. And then we would question why he was in the game before. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, no, um, they've also lost uh, Davis. They're running back now. Um, you know, they're hurting at wide receiver without Callaway. Uh, they seem to be a hot mess to me. Um, boy, after that, I mean, I, you love some of the things that, Bentley does at quarterback, but they've gone through a bout of injuries and they don't look like defensively they can stand up to what, you know, Georgia, the way Georgia can hit them in the mouth. So uh, Tennessee, uh, it looks like Jared Garantano is going to have a bright future. He's really impressed with the way he played against Alabama. He didn't ever look, the, the stage didn't look too big for him. But, you know, they're, they again, too, so many things are going outside of the program. That looks like a coaching change into the end of the year and that, um, they're they're just they they all are talking to people off stage anyway, so I don't think they just feel the the need to make a, a move right now. But that 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 thing um, is not pretty when they play a team of you know comparable talent. That's, you know the teams they beat are Indiana State. You know I mean God, it, it's almost embarrassing to watch them play. So no, I can't. You know uh, Mississippi State would probably. Uh, pretty much rodeo anybody in the east besides jody besides georgia uh you know texas a&m is so up and down this year with their their team who who knows who's going to show up so uh old miss is a mess I, I told you guys at the beginning of the year i've been doing it 12 years this is, this is about as bad as i've seen the sec you got two teams mm. you know two and a half teams two and a half teams lsu's right on the verge they they need another recruiting class um and i think they'll get there but you know the key to this football game, and I, I, you know, I've watched 
you know, did a lot of reading and did a lot of watching tape already. You know, can this LSU team protect Danny Etling at all? Uh, If they can't protect the quarterback, we watched Danny play against LSU last, excuse me, against Alabama last year. He started getting hit in this game and he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean after a while. There were guys open and he he couldn't hit them. And, And they have to figure out a way to keep that shark attack from going when when Alabama starts to get you reeling and start hitting your quarterback, there's you know there's not a lot of Deshaun Watsons out of there that can weather that storm like Deshaun did a year ago and right the ship, and and Danny has not he he, he does not look to be a, a guy that can do that. They need to keep the hits off their quarterback big time. We we've seen a couple of offenses through the years that have given Alabama some trouble from time to time. No one really consistently. Uh, I, I think pretty you, – you never see someone that can just run right out of Alabama is going to be successful. But but LSU's Correct. got this sort of like, you know, Matt Canna can change up paces, you know, yes. jet sweep, get people running east to west. I mean, d- does he bring something to the table here from a play caller's perspective and a scheme perspective that can give them an advantage? Or do you think Alabama is, is, is built – to defend this kind of offense as, as well as any? Well, I, I don't think there's um, any magic formula for defending this. Off. It's like going up against uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, uh, and I even remember Alabama going up against Georgia Southern in the triple option, and they would gain 300 yards rushing, okay? Uh, it, this offense is built to put you in a, a two-way position, and, and you'll have to make some decisions because they're selling out um, at the point of attack with finesse instead of power. So you got a lot of people, you know, they're running the ball right off tackle left and they're not deb- blocking the defensive end, standing right there. And they're doing it by quickly finessing them. It's almost, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's almost an inside out, uh, it's almost an outside in triple option. Whereas when you defend Georgia Tech and Navy, you have to defend the fullback out, fullback quarterback pitch. In this offense, you have to defend the jet sweep in. You have to defend, if you don't defend that pitch guy, the jet sweep guy first, he'll, the ball will be in his hands and he'll be around you before you can even move. So you have to defend, take away him first and then move inside. And that's no easy thing to do because they keep shifting their tackles and their ends and their motions back and forth and change your strength of formation. But I'm anxious to see with one of the brilliant defensive coaches in all of football, not just college football, that Nick Saban can't come up with a game plan for it. Mm. Do you think that Auburn presents – you mentioned how many teams, uh, you know, looking at the SEC West, uh, Mississippi State, LSU, LSU maybe needing another crop or another cycle of recruits. Where does the Gus Malzahn-Auburn program fit in this? Because they – the road, you know, for both Georgia and Alabama, both go through Jordan-Hare Stadium. What's the – you know, this is this feels like a big week for us to sort of get a feel for where Auburn's at uh, going into that Georgia game. Well, they need to be – continue to be healthy they need both running backs and if uh you know if petway can't play and i've am i right i've heard he he's a questionable for this game correct that's a big that's a big problem for auburn that's a big problem uh, i just don't you know they when they have their guys though i feel like they're a legitimate threat because they're extremely gifted on the defensive line and they've got a lot of experience on the offensive line 
And, you know, I mean, they tossed away the, the you know, the one game they had won. Yeah. You know, I mean, they just tossed it away, you know, inexplicably against LSU. I thought watching them on tape that they'd be able to give anybody a good game. I really did. I mean, they gave Clemson one. I thought that they would handle LSU and uh, or at least make it a game. You know, I knew LSU would show up, but I, I thought Auburn was more talented than them. Um, but they got to stay healthy. They, you know, without being healthy for Georgia and Alabama, I, I just don't see how they can match up. Healthy, they got a chance. They got a quarterback that can throw the deep ball, and they got a defense that can keep them in the game. As you look at the uh, the national scene again, we mentioned we're recording this just a little bit yeah. before the first playoff selection committee rankings. Do you what do you think you learned, or what do you think we as college football fans learned about Ohio State uh, watching that win against Penn State? Yeah. Well, they're one of the five or six or seven teams in the country that can put athletes on the field to beat the other five or six teams. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, they, they, they belong up there. I mean, they're, you know, Clemson talented, Alabama talented. Uh, you know, I, I thought USC was there. The more you watch them play, I'm not sure. Oklahoma talented. Um, I mean, what they've done to Penn State in two years, I mean, uh, two years ago when they lost, they gained 413 yards. And I think Penn State, I don't have it with me, I think they were 275 yards. This year, they put another 529 yards versus 283. So they have 950 yards in two games against Penn State. And their quarterback has gone 61 for 82 in two games against Penn State. But what I really I appreciated, and it's something that Alabama has brought to the table in many, many games. We've seen them against LSU when they've stole those games in Death Valley. Clutch play. When the game was on the line, when the uh, Buckeye fan was restless, uh, you could hear the noise in the stadium. They were wanting to know what the heck's going on. With the whole season riding, they made all of the clutch plays going down the stretch. And that's something that's really, you know, that heart of a champion that Urban seems to be able to translate into his teams and all the great coaches. Nick is able to do it. We'll see if Kirby can as he goes forward. I think that's another one thing that has come through is this Ohio State football team wants to, they has a extreme desire to win these games. They feel their righteous place is there. I thought they were a year early last year and didn't belong in it. I was outspoken about that. But I think this team, you know, they're extremely, I mean, come on, uh, you know, I mean, what did Barkley run for? 44 yards? He had 36 in one carry. Right. That means he had eight yards and 20 yeah. other carries in this game. Okay. Yeah. You cannot do that without a level talent and a desire and, and a well-coached team. But you know, the committee's in a strange spot this year. Very, very strange spot. It, it's, I don't feel sorry for them because they created it from last year themselves. And um, as they walk into this, and, and again, we're taping this before, as they walk into this first one, and if they deem, and it's going to be very interesting how they place it, but if they deem Notre Dame as the best one-loss team, they're in a heap of trouble, this committee. I don't know what they're going to do because if they put Notre Dame as the best one loss team, what do they do with Georgia? Okay. Cause Notre Dame can't pass Georgia, but could Georgia so get it, more? Could Georgia would have to lose two games? Yeah. Georgia would have to lose two games, two games. So here's the problem. 
if Georgia beats Auburn and runs the table and gets to Alabama and plays a normal game, they lose, let's say, okay? I mean, Alabama, Georgia, I think everybody would agree, are probably two of the four best teams. Right. Ohio State's going to be in, okay? Or the Big Ten champ, Wisconsin, is going to be in. That means you want one spot. And this initial ranking of Notre Dame, if they put them as the best one-loss team, what do you do with Clemson? What do you do with Oklahoma? What do you do with Washington? Are you really going to have three power conferences not represented, including the defending champions? Mm. And that's the position that this committee has put themselves in because of the ill-advised uh, uh, granting of Ohio State over a champion uh, Penn State last year. It was a huge mistake. Where do you see, to, to me, and that is a, that's an interesting thought and in, in how that Notre Dame thing is going to play out. Um, to me, I still have them in there right now with that four team. To me, Oklahoma's got to be in there because they beat Ohio State. Like, where do you stand on like Ohio really? State now really? looking as good as they do, but having really? that home lost Oklahoma? Like, it, right, right. I, I just dare you to, to have that committee not have the Big Ten champion in the game. Isn't Barry not Alvarez right. still around? You, There's no you, way he won't you, let that you, happen. Have you been watching the ratings for these games? <laughs> Yeah. There's no way the Big Ten champion with one <laughs> loss is not in the game. That's the problem. That's that's the whole that's the whole problem with this where Notre Dame is initially ranked because they're still gonna get to play Miami and I believe they're gonna go five and zero against the ACC. Mm. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Well, uh, a lot to digest. Again, we will have those selection committee rankings that are coming out Tuesday night. Uh, they will be in play, and we will know where Alabama sits in this first rankings, as well as uh, Georgia and everyone else involved. Alabama and LSU, it is an 8 p.m. Eastern time kickoff under the lights. Uh, be sure you tune in to hear Gary, Brad Nessler, out of the force, all on the call. Gary, thank you so much. Great to get back with you. Uh, we'll be looking forward and watching on Saturday night. Thanks, guys.